This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I've been thinking about it while we've been talking, and I'm going to go for the eating task <laughs> with mannequin picks. Yeah, yeah. Purely oh, so for good. the line where he first brings out the ox, and then he brings out the cow. <laughs> it is not as tasty, but so much more tender. And then he goes, and the views, because to break up the family, that is not good. <laughs> I forgot that bit. That's pretty funny. It brings out the elephant at the end. Yeah. Well, he has the mountain of caviar. Yeah. And then we go to the toast. And now, yeah. the camel! <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. We're going to be talking about the 12 tasks of Asterix with Felix. Hey! Tom. Hello. And Helen. Woo! Thank you. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello and welcome to this episode of Flicks Watch Podcast. Today we are very, very, very happy to welcome back Felix and Tom. If you would like to say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit about the pod work you do, please. The pod work. Well, our biggest pod pod work is uh, our shared one, which is uh, Wooden Overcoats. We uh, are both in it. I also write an episode, a series of it, roughly speaking. And uh, yeah, also uh, you can hear me in my own solo sketch comedy podcast, Crowley Time. Mm. Which Podwerk I release. was our our German electro band, wasn't it? Podwerk. <laughs> ich liebe das Podcast. Is that where it's like four of you in a line and you only press one button on yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're just like yeah. that. Podwerk. Yeah. Um, I so, love Kraftwerk. They're good, aren't they? <laughs> they're doing a 3D, as we record this, they're doing like a 3D show somewhere. I think it's Ali Pali. What? Oh, really? Surely all their throws shows Get are 3D. Get them on! Well, yeah. Come on, guys. Kraftwerk, if you're listening. They don't do podcasts, do they? Don't they? We only invite podcasters on. As bands go, only gorillas do 2D gigs. Kraftwerk, if you're listening and doing a podcast, come on to Flix Watcher. You'd oh, have a lovely great. time. They would. Have you seen... Captain Marvel, it was great. No, but they don't talk do, do, like do, do, a Kraftwerk song. Yeah, they do. All the time. And they're constantly playing the synthesizer. She's a model. Who are you? <laughs> my name is Felix Trench, and my podwerk 
is uh, the same as Tom, but different. I do wooden overcoats with Tom, and I do a uh, EU mockumentary podcast called Quid Pro Euro, which is extremely funny. Yes, well, thanks, Tom. And you you're are. doing it, I guess. Are you still carrying on posts? The B word. Yeah, the B word. I think I like that. I like that. Uh, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> if anything, defying the B word. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, what I am now is a traitor. <laughs> yeah, a, a treasonous person. I am. You're leading the campaign to rejoin, aren't you, via just your podcast? I, I your am. absurdist comedy podcast. That's me. Yep. Uh, we're, are you guys are coming up to, as we record this, coming up to season four of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when this, you might well be, season four might well be up by the time this comes out. Oh. So do a little plug. And you also do a lot of live shows. Listen to season four of Wooden Overcoats, the final season. The very final season. The very final season. Because we despise our listeners and we want to punish them. Have you got a final, I've got like a narrative arc that finishes on a great ending. I'm Haven't talking... Haven't a clue. I have not read any of the scripts. <laughs> I know things. Yeah, it's very exciting. I have had the update. I've written my episode, mm-hmm. which takes place quite early in the season, so not many major revelations in it. But I do know that there are going to be, let's just say you're going to find out uh, not everything, but just enough uh, based on many questions you may have had from the first series onwards. Okay. And there are going to be a few major revelations for some of the core characters before the series is finished. Do you have a writer's room for Wooden Overcoats? We do. It's uh, more of a sort of uh, insubstantial, gaseous writer's room uh, since series two, I think, because essentially too many of the writers, some of them are based in the United States now. All right. Uh, We've we've, uh, diversified our portfolio. And uh, in the first two seasons, we did manage to get everyone together into a room and sit down and chat. But even in series two, I remember it was quite a short meeting because too many people had elsewhere to be going to other writing jobs, talking to other people, having other meetings. So most of the conversation happened via email. Uh, I think it's fine to spill this tea now that it's season four has probably already been recorded. What, what, what tea are you going to quick text me? David K. Barnes is a drunk. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't going to say that. Uh, but send we, me an SMS. Uh, all right, David K. Barnes is a drunk. I speak out my texts as I type them. That's one of my quirks. Yeah. Um, no, but you're, we. You're that person on the, on the tube, aren't you? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, instead of having the noises turned it's on on the not. phone, <laughs> instead of that, I just say, "Dear Mum, do we need milk at the house?" Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, I was just going to say about that, that we've uh, started. It's really a remote process now. Mm-hmm. David will have his kind of vague vision for the series. And, and what he did, certainly with me this season, was um, ask if I had any ideas I hadn't done yet. And I kind of had two vague directions to go in. And he said, I like the second one. I went, great. <laughs> Insight there, guys. Yeah. As you heard, you, heard it, you heard it here first. And he's drunk. He's always drunk. <laughs> no, he's not. So, I mean, today we're talking about films on Netflix. And we are talking about the 12 tasks of Asterix. Felix, you chose the film. Yes. Can you tell us why you chose it and give us a synopsis in 12, sorry, in 12? In 12, 12 words. words. <laughs> yes. Well, try it. 12, 12 words of aspects. The 12 tasks. No, that's not enough. <laughs> By Udiozo and Gossini. Okay, that'll do it. I had the 12 tasks of Asterix in French on VHS mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and it was a, uh, one of those. You know how you have the collection of home VHSs? Mm-hmm. And those are just the films you know because you've yeah. watched them so many times. So I had a couple of twelves actually. I had no, not twelves. I had twelve tasks of Asterix. I had ten years in Tibet. Right. Seven uh, years in Tibet. Seven years in Tibet. <laughs> was ten years the sequel? The sequel. <laughs> was, this, was this your parents trying to teach you how to count? And you, yeah. and you got it wrong. Uh, um, no, I it's, had. It's, it's, it's seven. Seven. <laughs> seven. <laughs> it says ten, mum. <laughs> It says 10 in base 7. Why did they write it in Roman numerals? You can't tell what it says. Um, so for ages, I thought Brad Pitt just had an Austrian accent. Um, wow. I had King Ralph. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a fantastic film. Is it good? Have you done King Ralph yet? No. no. You have to. Do you know the premise? We don't, we don't choose it. Yeah, we, we don't choose it. You have to add it to Netflix um, first. The, it, might, it might be on there. Maybe. So the whole royal family dies in a freak photography accident. Yeah. And, <laughs> and John Goodman is like It'd be, He's the like next the last line. person. But he's chosen, or, or like he's guided by Peter O'Toole and Richard Griffiths. Wow. It's a really good film, and they do lots of, like, 1950s rock and roll stuff. Yes. I remember it coming out and just thinking, "Mm, I like Tom Goodman, but then when he did uh, Blues Brothers 2000, I didn't think he was good. Anyway, why are you chosen this film? Carry on with this this story. Um, So I had it in the French, and... Can I add, I also had it in English, the the English dub that's on Netflix uh, on VHS as a child. So explain the French, because many people might not know why. Uh, that I have a, a francophone connection. I grew up and was educated for the first sort of eight years of my life in French. I grew up in Belgium. Um, and I suppose I must have had a lot of these different cartoons and comics in French because mm. my parents, although I'm British, thought this is a good way f- for him to learn to spell. Uh, so I had I had like um, a, a half and half collection of asterisks and Tintins, some of them in English, some yeah. of them in French. So I knew both names for them and like later on I kind of got to know the different voices for them so this has been really interesting for me because this is the first time I've seen 12 tasks in English mm. right uh, with this particular dub I think I think we decided this was the only dub that I oh okay so you guys watched it together didn't you so no we, we were, were talking earlier we, yeah we were speaking earlier no we, we this one we didn't watch together uh but yeah, no, so it's, it's pure childhood nostalgia for me. So yeah, yeah. it's turned up, and I later learned that it was something of a cult classic. And okay. I was like, oh, great, I'm, uh, I'm well up for talking about this. So give us the um, synopsis in 12 words. <laughs> Asterix, 12. Uh, Not your synopsis. No, sorry. Um, or in a minute. <laughs> the Gauls must prove whether or not they are divine. <laughs> To Rome. Caesar. Oh, okay. Nice. Or Rome nice. would have worked yeah, as well, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, there we go. Um, Helen, what are your thoughts on the 12 tasks of Asterix? So I have never watched any Asterix to the point where I thought the little one was actually a child. And I was like, oh. What, you thought, what do you mean the little one? You mean Asterix? <laughs> well, this is how much I didn't really know. So I was like, oh. I just to, just to be clear, when you, when you say the little one, you mean Asterix? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's not a child. Not the dog. Do you know no. what, though? I could totally see an Asterix comic a character who's six years old with a massive Gaulish moustache. I think they actually did that, didn't they? When they flash back to when they're kids. Does he have a big moustache? I don't moustache? think he does, actually. I think I'm misremembering. But yeah, they could do. You never read them as a kid either? Nope. Uh, were you a Tintin kid? Did you read any nope. of those? There's there's all sorts of theories that fly about about whether you're an Asterix kid or a Tintin kid and what that means, if anything. Mm. I was def- definitively an Asterix kid. I was an Asterix kid. I'd never, I'd never gone with Tintin. So much so, when the mm. film came out, I was like, I don't... Oh, I like both. But I think I'm... You're Belgian, so you have to like both, well, I by grew up, Well, uh, Asterix is French and Tintin's Belgian. Um, is he? I thought Asterix is also uh, Belgian. No. Oh, no, really? No, okay. no, Cassini and Udolzo are French. Because they, they probably mm. lean into the Gallic side of things, don't they? Yeah. But maybe. Franco-Belgian comics is mm. a grouping within the world of it's comics. church. Didn't, um, was it Spirou mm-hmm. that Asterix appeared in first? And that was, I think, a Belgian publication. Does he? Or was it? Or maybe I'm, I might be confusing things. I certainly, I, mean, saw, I went to the Gossini exhibition at the Jewish Museum last year, which is wonderful. And uh, I think that had a big bunch of his involvement with Spirou and various other Belgian comics. But oh, I don't know sense. where he's from. But what are your thoughts? Sorry, Helen. Um, so I, I, I guess not having any prior knowledge, 
this probably isn't going to be my favourite film. <laughs> it is a bit of a baffling one because, interestingly, it's the only animated film version of an Asterix book, or at least at the time it was the only one, which wasn't based on one of the comics. It was an original screenplay that oh, the, was the creators mm-hmm. wrote together oh, okay. with, with another guy whose name I forget. But it was, so it's no, it, was a, it was turned into a picture comic, like still framed mm-hmm. from the film we used to make a comic book later. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time, it was an original story they'd written. And... It's very interesting to watch as someone who grew up like obsessively reading the comics because there's all sorts of fourth wall breaking and rules of the universe breaking that never happen in the comics. The comics are very like rigidly historically accurate, apart from the jokes mm-hmm. and some of the references. But you would never, for example, have them suddenly turn up in a tube, uh, you know, a, a Paris metro station, mm. as they suddenly do just yeah. for a little meta joke. And in and there's gods. You see the gods talk. And Asterix is basically a... Uh, materialist <laughs> comic like you very rarely have anything of the supernatural That's turn true. up there's there's superstition you know there's there's religious worship in it but you'd never see a god or a supernatural creature but in this film it's like they went it's a film we can do whatever we want we're, we're millionaires everyone loves asterisk so it's it's a very bad introduction it felt quite monty python-y as yeah. well with that mm. so maybe that's what they were kind of it's, going for do you it. think because for me uh, I saw cartoons when I was younger. I thought I saw the most recent. I saw the ones that came out in the eighties, mm. or at least were released in the cinema eighties. I meant to check whether they actually were like originally came out in the eighties. But they had a lot of the kind of cast and crew of the of of Gaul were had northern voices in the English in the English stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, which kind of <laughs> very bizarre. Lent it towards the I guess the Monty Python pastiche. Well, they're from northern France, so <laughs> that makes sense to me. I liked it. I mean the. I, I, like, I, I used to read Asterix. I'm not sure how many, I can't remember at all which comics, which episodes or stories I read. Um, and I remember watching the films as they came out to VHS when I was a kid. But I don't think I've ever seen this one. And when you suggested it, I was like, really? But it's it's, it's legitimate. People would have loved it as a kid. And I knew you, you were Belgian and you would have had that connection. So it was like, let's let's have a, have, let's have a view of it. And it was enjoyable, I thought. Mm, um, yeah. I'm not sure how much I watch it again. And I think for me, it's, Asterix is more definitely for the younger people. And I think if we're, if you have kids in the room, and I think they would quite enjoy it. Um, but I'm not sure how much it holds attention in the world of like Pixar and, and decent uh, maybe. Modern, yeah, modern kind of animation. See, I would say this is more of an old farts film because it's oh, really? people remembering it when they're, uh, when they're when young. young. <laughs> but this is like, I think old farts imposing on their child. Oh yeah, of yeah. course. If I had kids, I'd be imposing this all over them. It has no pathos if you're comparing yeah, no. it to Pixar. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have There's an no sentiment. Call. There is, in fact, it barely has stakes. There was, <laughs> I was thinking about it watching it. There is one moment where I felt they were in danger, which is when they're climbing the mountain. Right. I was like, oh, yeah. it's the first time we've had stakes. That, mm. like, I know that you're not going to fall off it, but it feels dangerous. I think, well, yeah, I think you're right, and that's nicely conveyed. I also think that you're, you've got a point about Monty Python, uh, Helen, because it's like, it has that sense of being a sketch show, which has is linked by a premise, mm. like a bunch of like all of the sort of sketch comedy films, like Holy Grail and Life of Brian, and and there's not many others. Brain Candy by Kids <laughs> in the Hall, end of list. But yeah, it's um, it's got that sense of them going, let's take these characters that we know and mm-hmm. most of you know the French and European population know, and we'll go on a little tour of them having fun in a new medium, basically, because I don't know how many other Asterix films have come before the there Gaul. Were two. Two. What was the second? Uh, Asterix and Cleopatra. And oh, yes. Asterix, the Gaul, was an unlicensed production. Was it? That was done by a Belgian company who just took Asterix, the Gaul, uh, and turned their, into their own thing. And Udal van Goscinny didn't get angry. They watched it. They went, okay, this has happened. 
we think we can do this better. Yeah. And so the next one was Asterix and Cleopatra, and then they did 12 Tasks, 12 tasks. as is an entirely new screenplay. Yeah. i never seen Cleopatra, actually. I think it was one of the VHSs that, you know, on the back of the VHS, when you've mm. got the sort of what else you can get, that was one of the ones that we never found. My parents never found it in a shop. Oh, did I they try and, like, did you ask them, did you request? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I said, yes, please. Any Asterix VHSs we can get, please. But, you know, it was harder to get hold of films back then. We had very few original, as in shop-bought VHSs. My, oh, yeah. my main, ours were mainly taped off the telly. Off the telly. I was and, a religious taper off the telly. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, we had like hundreds of mm. taped mm-hmm. off the telly, which is great. Um, but then, and we went to the, we went to the local, it was Rainbow Video, was our closest one. Nice. No, no Blockbuster back in then. <laughs> um, but yeah, we rarely, rarely actually bought VHSs, mm. which is, I don't know if it's good or bad. I think like Aladdin and Lion King and Little Mermaid were bought then. Yeah. But apart from that, Ghost as well, that was one. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That a okay. That's a classic VHS yeah. film, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, how's it compared to the rest of them for yourself? I haven't seen every Asterix film. I later in life bought uh, a box set of DVDs mm. and started making my way through them. I love 12 Tasks. Um, I think it, it it plays specifically to film and probably wouldn't work as well as a comic strip. Mm. Like they also, they don't really work as films. It doesn't have, <laughs> it doesn't have a clear three act structure. Mm. It is not, it's well short of the 90 minutes that you would expect. It's what, like an hour. It's, <laughs> it's about, what is it? 72 minutes. 72, yeah. like, Which actually, if you look at some of the classic Disney's, it's, it's more common because animation yeah, is so expensive. How long was Dumb- Dumbo's like less than an hour? Yeah. 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 Especially the early ones. In the seventies, I think you'd probably expect 90 minutes out of your animated film. I would guess. But I think there's some, there were some scenes where like, where they're in the administration, in the bureau yes. kind of thing. Mm. That would be very difficult to convey on in, in the comic yeah. as to how tedious it is. And also I was wondering for kids at that point how difficult that that must have been hard to get across for kids i think i think children would have dialed out at that point because they don't understand i don't think so i mean tedium. i uh that's one of the really memorable sequences sure. for me is that kind of office admin humor that they use um that and what about the german kung fu um the Funny german enough, judo not guy? so much okay. i still don't quite understand that segment <laughs> it's a german man that's obsessed with judo but yeah sure <laughs> And then he says at the start of his scene, I learned it on my travels in the Far East. And that's the only explanation that you yep. get as to why there's a German Kung Fu expert. Yeah, and he's the best. Yeah, he's brilliant. Well, I mean, they need, well, need they play as many stereotypes as they can throw in as possible. Yeah. And clearly at that point, this is uh, 1976, Asterix has a long tradition of silly German characters coming in. <laughs> yes. Like you had Asterix and the Goths before yeah, that. yeah. So clearly that was an easy go-to after they'd had the Greek and the Persian. Third, they went, what should we do? German. And then like the Belgian comes afterwards to be the cook. Yes, yes. Uh, Mannequin Pix. Mannequin Pix. Mannequin Pix. Which doesn't really work in the English translation because they give him a French accent, whereas in the French version he's got a Belgian accent and that's why he's like, look, I've invented this thing. They're called like wooden chips, but I don't know what to call them. Yes, yes. Frit, yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So what are the names in French? For dogmatics, asterisks, idée fixe, idée fixe. So fixed idea, dogmatics, um, which is a very, very good pun direct yeah. translation, actually. And getafix is panoramics in mm-hmm. uh, the druid getafix, which and getafix is more of a direct joke about him being, you know, doling out the magic potion, sure, like the village dealer. So it's even. I mean, they still use the t- this the suffix fix in each in each in the yes. French version. Yeah, that's is that sort of historically accurate? That was a very m- the most common. 
Uh, Ix is Gaulish. So Felix is a yeah. Gaulish name. Ah, uh, Felix. Felix ah. Is, it's a Roman slave name. Um, Who would be the obelix to your asterisk if we were casting this now? Because I think you'd make a very good asterisk. I'd make a wonderful asterisk. How <laughs> um, I think. Gosh, you. Oh, really? Great. I need <laughs> to shave like, my beard. I thought that was a big setup there. I know you. I think you were slow to the to the mark there. Oh well. Um, who, if you had to pick Felix um, who would you choose to um, <clears throat> yeah. so at finished when did they stop making the animations they haven't they're still going they're still going the uh, there was a beautiful looking one from only a couple of years ago which I think was the Vikings Asterix and the Vikings and that was like top draw two dimensional Hollywood standard animation I don't know for how long it was or uh, but it was certainly I saw an advertise like the trailer hit YouTube and people were on Twitter animators and comics artists were sharing it going oh, really? look at this and like but you watch it but they started making go, the live actions in the 90s they did we no, saw I think 2000. 2000 I thought it was two, yeah hold oh. on hold on the live action yeah with uh, Depardieu and um, what's his name the small oh. comedian Depardieu's Obelix or he was at one point anyway and it's all written by Alain Chabat uh, who plays Caesar in uh, the, the first one Mission Cleopatra this is this is quality material you know because this is a deep dive of knowledge your listeners are very lucky to have us talking <laughs> about the minutiae of Asterix yeah here he is now what's the name of it he's in he's brilliant he's in every French comedy basically Christian uh, Christian Clavier yes from Les Visiteurs and various other French comedies of you know well varying quality but still well there's there's a few of these I genuinely haven't seen these and I I, I genuinely thought they stopped making Asterix films animations in like the 80s look up Asterix and the Vikings because I'm sure there was a 2010s uh, animated feature uh, made but it it was yeah really the trailer looked incredible it's interesting you say that because the style of animation that very 70s dirty animation it's a bit dirty isn't it I like that I think it's lovely well especially because Something that you, it's very hard to capture in animation frames, probably because it's labor intensive, mm. is one thing that's so great about Uderzo's drawing, which is brush strokes. Ah, oh, here we are. Here we are. Here we go from 2006. Okay, so mm. it is a while ago, to be fair. Yeah. But yeah, it looks, looks lovely. You're right, it's much it's smoother. It's Disney-fied, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It's a little Disney-fied. I think it's also, I mean, the French they've got, they've got like, like They've got like shadowing and like yeah. highlighting on stuff like that. So. Exactly. I mean, that's the sort of thing you, know you can do I with loved, digital animation. Because I was watching it properly this time, going through Beautiful. 12 tasks is the backgrounds. The backgrounds, especially there's the whole sequence when they go to the, the Island of Pleasure. Yeah. It's this very sort of splodgy, watercolour, mm. impressionistic um, feeling to mm, it. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. As, the as backgrounds a, are stunning. As a child, what did you make of the Island of Pleasure? Because I thought that was a bit... It's pretty racy. I think yeah. this, is a, this is an old fart film. Yeah, I think it is this racy. Is... It is also more common in French comics. Like, yeah. you... Um, Saucy stuff. The equivalent of the Beano for kids, certainly back then, you see tits. Wow. Like it, <laughs> <laughs> to put it bluntly, yeah. you see tits. I grew up in the wrong country. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there, there's a lot less of that sort of prurience, I guess, mm. in, in French comics, certainly. But no, I, but it's also very PG rated. There's mm. sort of some cleavage and some like waving the bums around and stuff, but, you know, it doesn't seem too dreadfully. Yeah, there's jokes about. Um, the name of the oh, is it Caius Tidlus, the the man who's sent to 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 minister to these mm-hmm. tasks that yeah. have been set to Asterix and Obelix who, to, to check that they're fulfilling them properly. His joke where it's like you can choose any reward you want for fulfilling your tasks so thoroughly, and he just goes leaves a cloud of dust, and the next thing you see is him on the island of pleasure being fed grapes <laughs> by a busty lady with, and with the boar. With the the boar, yeah, boar, which yeah. is the important bit. Yeah, indeed, there's a crucial uh, lack of boar plot point, but um, but it's all sort of quite. 
it to me it seems a bit it's that fits within the family comedy mm. i'm doing air quotes family comedy sort of bracket but again i would argue it's not aimed at kids i think this is like a satirical it's a kid just about kid friendly sure so, uh, attempt at like a satirical sketch animation I used to remember reading the comics and really enjoying the feast that they have with the boar. Oh, yeah. I was always like super like, oh, I want wild boar. It looks yeah. amazing. He's brilliant like, oh, at making just... food look nice. Yeah. Um, right. Which of, which of the 12 tasks did you enjoy the most? I'll come to you, Helen, because you look startled by the potential question. <laughs> Tom. Pressure's on. I said last. I'll come to you last. You can, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, to last. I yeah, see. Let me go back. What, which was the best one? Um, it's hard to judge. I mean, my favourite segment of the film, and I think it's one of the tasks in and of itself, is is probably the ghost section, right? Which I suddenly remembered was in this film because I, I when they they get to these marshlands and Kai Stiddles goes, "You'll be very upset to know that this area is extremely haunted," and I went, "This is feeling very familiar," and it has that kind of weirdly. It looks like. One of those, if you see one of those sort of uh, alternative 70s or 80s animated films, which have quite elaborate and complex and, and often slightly freaky animation, it's like that. Mm. And again, it's a supernatural segment in a, in a franchise which doesn't have supernatural segments. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, you know, having read almost all of the comics, watching that was like, what's this? Ghosts in Asterix? And, and the animation of it is so just beautifully weird and a bit sinister. And, but and I genuinely think unsettling. that comes from the fact that they had a very low budget. So this mm. was... Uh, this was the first one that used basically photocopying to create the the animation, uh, which is why they can get away with lots and lots of Romans all kind of doing the same thing. Yes. But those ghosts, they just sort of turn into an amorphous mask. Mm. That is an easier thing to animate than yeah. lots of ghosts being very ghosty. Mm. And, and the way also, it's directed is creepy. It's very also creepy. that bit when they go into the cave where it goes to the eyeballs. Yeah. Bit, That's so is, beautiful, actually. I think is, I might prefer that. It's but it's so also... Mad. Um, such an easy way to save to speed yeah. animation, isn't it? I mean, that's what you see a lot in, in Warner Brothers films where Bugs Bunny goes into a into a room and you can just see his eyeball and you know that yeah. Adam Mace has just gone, mm -hmm. oh, thank you. Oh, phew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cheers, guys. We'll get this out quickly. Do you know what I love, though, throughout is the soundtrack. I've never it's thought really it before. It's really lovely, it's yeah. It's so good. And, like, all the incidental little sounds. I'm, I always remember... Brutus's knife, where they very clearly just twanged a ruler off the end of a table. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's there kind of playing with a knife and goes, bang, yeah, bang. Yeah, bang. What was the name of the, the bard? I can't remember his name. Cacophonix in English. Yeah. But what's he in? Assurance Torix. Assurance Torix, which As is in, assurance tours? No, um, all risk insurance. Uh, yes, all, yes. All weather insurance. <laughs> all weather insurance. Nice. <laughs> like they, they've, in the French, they're very rarely connected to the actual people. Yeah. yeah. The, the pun names in English are very on the nose. Like, cacophonous. Just get a fix. Yeah. So the woman who translated Asterix for Fully Britain, although I think America has different translations. Oh, the, really? She died recently and she got an obituary. Um, and part of the obituary pointed out that she actually didn't want any celebrity. She just wanted to quietly work in the background mm. as... Like, it, it's a very difficult task. What kind of celebrity could she have attained had she sought it? Well, I say, I'll tell you, she was sort of a celebrity name to me growing up because she was, you know, despite not wanting to mm. be a big name, she was on the title of every English language Asterix book. Sure. And, well, and Derek Hockridge, who I think, were they partners or were they just okay. collaborators? Who's, had, who's Derek Hockridge? He's the other one who translated all the Asterix uh. books. Anthea Bell and Derek Hockridge worked, I think, together on all of them. I may be wrong about that, but I know Anthea Bell at least did all of them. I'm sure Derek Hockridge did most of them. But they were the partnership, and one thing they were really praised for was making puns that are French yeah. in the script work in the English translation and they just made sure to 
you know, they weren't just translating the words, they were making sure that all the jokes and the spirit those jokes were meant in were made it into the translated yeah. versions, which is quite, you know... It's a tough thing to do, isn't and it? And it's a lot of she, attention for a comic to get in that era. Yeah. She came from a linguistic lineage. Her grandfather was... Have you heard of the Loeb classics, L-O-E-B? Loeb no. classics. So if you can imagine a like, set... Like Lisa Loeb. Of... Mm. Yes, and Jeff Loeb. Um, of Greek and Latin texts that are in plain green and red covers. Right. Um, if you've ever seen that, those are like the standard UK editions of Greek and Latin this texts. This is ringing so you a bell. Get like your Seneca or your Plato or whatever. Right, right. And that was Mr. Loeb. Ah. And that was her grandfather. Gosh. Oh, blimey. So you've gone for the cave, the cave task? I'm going to go for the cave. I just, do you know what? Because the, that section where the whole film is very, is, is, is line animation with, you know, fill colours. As we were saying, there's not really shading on a lot of it. It's very much like flat colour. And then suddenly you get that scene where they're asking someone for directions, but it's not someone. It's these constantly mutating sort of almost like pastel sketches of, of demon faces mm. that are warping into each other. And it's such a beautiful bit of very abstract animation in the middle of, as you say, what is otherwise a very cheap, simple scene yeah. of oh, which, in a dark as you cave. said, suddenly becomes the Alessia Metro Station in yeah. Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is such... It must be a kind of a 1970s in-joke about the darkness of the Paris metro station. Yeah, or it being hell to be in yeah. there or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Felix? Um, the bit that uh, sticks in my mind most, I think, is the house that makes you crazy, is the admin mm. bit. Um, but I've been thinking about it while we've been talking, and I'm going to go for the eating task <laughs> with Mannequin Picks, yeah. Yeah. purely oh, so for good. the line <laughs> where he first brings out the ox... And then he brings out the cow. <laughs> it is not as tasty, but so much more tender. And then he goes, and the views. Because to break up the family, that is not good. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that bit. That's really funny. Here's a bit. It's, sorry, deep sorry. dive question on this one. Um, there's the scene where they're traveling across an invisible wire yes. over a lake of a river of crocodiles. There's a bit at the very end of that scene where they've dropped down to the, where the crocodiles are, and then you see, because they're asterisk snowblocks, they're invincible, basically, they they just knacker all the crocodiles and send them flying up into the air, where they then cower by gripping this invisible wire over the chasm. And as the scene is leaving, it just leaves it on the crocodiles on the wire, mm-hmm. and they say something, and I couldn't for the life of me work out what it was, or they sort of growl something. Now, I can tell you yes. that what they growl is from the original French soundtrack. Right. So someone says something like, body, body, oh, and then someone goes, shh. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Those are exact things on the French soundtrack. So clearly they couldn't figure that out, what they were saying in the English What to do with it. Ah, interesting. And there are little bits in the English version, especially towards the end, when all of the villagers are going towards the circus, where if you listen, there's this kind of background hubbub, and you can just hear bits of French in the background The background, the waller is French, (laughs) but the main vocals are English. Yeah, wow. No, Sorry, I mean, yes. that works. I mean, I'm happy how... I think that makes sense in a, in a Gallic basis. Bit of local gear? Oh, okay, so me last. I think, yeah, I'm, the, the, the food eating tasks made me laugh the most because it was just nonsense. It's yeah. so funny. Uh, just pure nonsense all the way through. And, the way. Uh, and brings out the elephant at the end. <laughs> yeah. The way he has the mountain of caviar. Yeah. And then we go to the toast. And now, yeah. the camel! <laughs> <laughs> and he had it's- a good description for each one of them. Yeah. But I did laugh. I did enjoy the, uh, yeah, the, the Insanity House as well because... I, I, was, I had no idea where this was going. I thought it was a bit dry. And then when it just flipped it around and everyone yeah. starts falling yeah. like Pied Piper around this like insane house. I thought, yeah, that was good. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so maybe the hypnotist person who yeah. turns the yeah. person before into a cat. And, yeah. and, uh, and a bird. 
Yes, but mainly the. Game. And there's that recurring there's a recurring joke about. Did you see the bird is low flying? It means there's going to be no yeah. rain. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Presumably, be that's a saying yeah, in French. We'll have rain. Yeah, yeah. That, like, like cows, cows sitting are, down. Yeah, yeah. Um, one the one thing of Asterix using the word Asterix in film that which really annoys me is in the film La Haine. Um, oh yes, it? I have not seen it. Um, it was a fantastic film. One of Van Cassel's first films he did, uh, set in like a. Uh, a kind of a French slumish part, an deprived part of, of uh, Paris. Okay. And um, one of the characters is called Asterix, but the translation was Snoopy. And that always used to oh, really yeah. piss me off because yeah, obviously it's, it's kind of translated for an American audience. Yes. Right. And I just think, but you hear him say Asterix, but then you see Snoopy and I'm like, that's not, that makes no sense. No. I think so Asterix it, is a word you can just put that in the name. But yeah, also surely it. Asterix is a global enough brand that you, you would think in America. You would think, yeah. So it, just to get, because I haven't seen it either, mm. is the context that he's meant to be like a cute little cartoon guy or something? I can't remember or which character is called Asterix. I can't remember which, right, ca- okay. what, which character is called that, but it's just it's just a recurring thing, theme through the film. So who is, who plays him? That's what I mean, I can't remember which character. Oh, okay. uh, I don't think it's Vincent Cassell. No. Um, but that's irrelevant. It's like okay. the name... He clear, they clearly say, albeit in French, Asterix. Mm. Um, but then Snoopy. No, he's That's not called Snoopy. He's terribly Asterix. distracting for an English audience yeah. as well. He'll definitely know <laughs> what Asterix I think a lot is. of people don't, well, hopefully think with things like Parasite, more and more people start seeing, yeah. jumping over that one inch uh, hurdle, which I think is such a great phrase. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've seen, I've seen it and that never like, caused me any problems. Well, you maybe didn't notice it then. Maybe no. didn't uh, occur to you as like a... As, but as we've established, you weren't very familiar with Asterix no. growing up. So. Yeah. But back to the um, the hypnotist scene, uh, I like that bit as well. And you just reminded me, there's something I love about, you see it a lot in TV animation in the 90s, mm. like uh, Animaniacs, Batman, Freakazoid, and also a lot in sort of... I guess, uh, Danger Mouse? Uh, Danger Mouse maybe as well. Actually, Danger Mouse is fairly consistent, um, but certainly in European and American animation, the, the way they'll divvy up making the film is often you'll have an animation director or storyboard artist or lead animator mm. who's taking on different scenes. So occasionally, especially when it comes to like the, the Batman animated series from the 90s, there'll be one episode where everything looks amazing and that'll be because the director oversaw the style of the animation and some are a bit sort of workmanlike and not that great. And in this film, it happens between different scenes. So one of the smoothest and most sort of elegant bits of animation is the hypnotist scene. Mm. And if you watch it, the character animation is incredibly on model. He doesn't distort at all. And the the, the flow of his movement is incredibly smooth. You mean the hypnotist? The hypnotist himself, yeah. And all the other characters in there. And I bet you that's because one of their best animators was put (laughs) on it. Yeah. And you can see it. You you can sort of see it. I mean, it all looks lovely, but some scenes there's maybe a slightly wonky character movement or maybe some characters seem to warp slightly, go off their model. The most apparent scene for that for me was the with the German judo guy yeah because it just, just almost had like him like a, an outline and then his lips moving separately mm. to the rest yes, of the body yeah a little, little it looks a bit it looks a bit dodgy mm. you could quite often see the pencil lines which yes. I really enjoyed yeah, as, a, yeah. as a thing yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, it wasn't crisp lines no and I, I was just saying before like the, the, the sort of brush strokiness of it it's like they've inked mm-hmm. the animation panels which never happens like you get this very steady line I know but the reason for that this was because of the photography process yes. the, uh, the photocopying process the, so you needed these much thicker lines mm. when you're photocopying cells which is why some of the later Disney animations like 101 Dalmatians have very thick lines yeah should we head to the scores? Sure. Let's go to the scores. 
Hello, I'm Sam Pei. And I'm Martin Zolt-Sorstwick. And we are the two hosts of a podcast called Song, Song by, by Song, Song, where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist Tom Waits. Uh, you might know him for his gravelly voice. <coughs> very nice. His appearance in films, but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues, jazz, and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music. So we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the FlixWatcher scoring system. Uh, all of your points are out of five and you may have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with you, Felix, please, for your recommendability. Five. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, just because you love it to bits and... I recommended it. When was, so when was the last time you watched this? Can you remember? I think uh, within my life as an adult and Londoner. Maybe four or five years ago. Oh, okay. Fairly okay. recent then. So fairly recent. Uh, Tom? I'm going to go for uh, a four, and I'm only doing that because certainly by today's standards, there are sections of this film which are uh, bona fide racist. And that's hard <laughs> yes. to get around. Like in the first scene, there's a scene where Asterix goes through every language that Asterix has been mm. uh, translated into in a sequence which is designed to showcase how international and universally beloved this property is. And he says, Konnichiwa. And he says, you know, hello, guten tag. And the flags of the various nations flash up. And he pulls his eyes back to oh, look right. more Japanese. I didn't notice when he's, that. Mm, I'm glad you didn't. It's, but on, it's on my notes. Yeah, Japanese, that's right. slightly Japanese racist. Eyes. That was, uh, it's extremely racist. Well, throughout the series, you get very racist portrayals. Well, I think you get stereotypical yeah. satirical portrayals, but not as overt as that. Do you know what I always find very interesting is people... Um, certainly within European cultures, yeah. tend to cite the one where they go to their own country as their favourite. So people in the UK Asterix are always Britain, talking yeah. about how Asterix in Britain is their favourite. Playing rugby, drinking tea. But Asterix in Spain, similarly, I think is just as good a comic. Asterix in Belgium is a beautiful comic, mm. which is one of my favourites because I recognise a lot of the stuff yeah. in there. Mm. But I think that's what, what they judge so well, not in the moment where Asterix no. acts all Japanese, but in the books, they, they had this sort of, they played off popular perceptions of national stereotypes. And in the British one, everyone's got a stiff upper lip, everyone's drinking mm-hmm. tea. But what they prodded at was things that people love to make fun of themselves for. Mm. And each book captured those beautifully, maybe in a way that was a lot more 60s and 70s. But, but. I think also, like, at that point, you've got... Cosini um, Diazzo presumably went through the war. They've created this world, which is a fairly thinly veiled parable, I assume, for yes. the French experience under Nazism. You've got... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Romans with the Germans in this one pocket of French resistance. Yes. So there are all these different groups of people who are shown as in a very kind light. Mm, true. Which is not the case in Asterix and the Goths, which mm. is one of the few ones where they don't speak the local language. Right. Whereas everyone else can kind of speak Gaulish, and they even say in Asterix and the Britons, they were the same as us with some weird customs. Yes. But as soon as they go to Germany, they go to prison. Everyone has right. is kind of harsh. Everyone is 
That happens when the when the writer was, I believe, an Italian Jew who fled Europe uh, because of Nazism uh, and then came back after the war. Was he? Gossini, yeah. I did not know that. He's, uh, Where did he flee to? Uh, America. He was in America for a while. He, was a, he worked as a cartoonist, I think, and a cartoon writer uh, for various publications in New York, I believe, if I remember the Jewish Museum exhibition correctly, oh. and then came back to Belgium and, and France to work on comics over there, I think lured back by this boom in comics that was happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to actually upgrade this to a 4.2 <laughs> to be more fair. <laughs> To be more fair. Helen. So I think this is definitely one for fans uh, coming into it now with no prior knowledge. Um, I think it might be a bit of a hard sell for a lot of people. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to give it a three. Sort of, I think this is pretty much if you haven't seen it and you are a fan, you would need to see it Mm. and um, go for it. Yeah, I... A huge caveat here is if you like Asterix, uh, have mm. seen the comic or read the comic books, one of them, any any of them. Um, like for me, I'm not interested in any iteration of Tintin. I think the animation looks bad, and you just kind of forgive something, don't you? If you if you've enjoyed it in one media, because mm. the animation here is. Do you mean the animation of the old Canadian TV t- version, or do you mean the drawings of the comics? The animation of the TV versions. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I always think it looked a bit ropey. I, I always liked it. I should um, go back. And, I've got all of them in a in a lovely digest format. They're like, all on complete collection. Well, I mean the, the books, yeah. but okay. uh, yeah, the whole series is out, isn't it? And I should watch them again. But I think the one to compare it to is Lake of Sharks because that was the only Tintin made for film, which was then turned into a comic. Really mm-hmm. interesting. Okay, well there you go. That's the companion piece. We should have picked that. <laughs> Netflix should have uploaded it. Um, so but yes, that's a huge caveat, and I'm not sure how many people have. So it's quite interesting. I didn't. I've, I thought coming in here that Tom maybe read a couple, but you, you seem to be well genned up on it. Uh, I, I grew up absolutely adoring it. Yeah. My dad's a huge uh, Francophile as well. Sure, heartbroken over Brexit multiple times. I've been yeah. on every protest march with him. It's been wonderful. But you're also but, very into 20th century comics. Oh, and hugely yes. Comic and I, artists I think it, and know a lot about that. That's true. But I also think that a lot of that came from my early experience of of Asterix, especially. Uh, yeah. But also things like the odd Calvin and Hobbes book, The Far Side. Uh, like, uh, I mean, those, all these things. Those two are my legit favorite things oh, in yeah. the entire world. I got the, the massive kind of compendium, which is, weighs like 10, 10 kilograms. The, the Calvin yeah. and Hobbes one? Yeah, the Calvin and Hobbes and the Far Side one. Oh, I didn't get the Far Side. I've got oh. the Calvin and Hobbes. You, you can't pick it up. No. I tried to move it to a different shelf. I nearly threw my back out. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Have no. you seen them? No. No well, Calvin and Hobbes either? What? Did you read any comics growing up? Oh, uh, my God, not no. Calvin and Hobbes? No, not I mean, really comics. They are so I, delightful. I was into books where... Uh, well, la di da No where, pictures. Where, where animals uh, lived lives as humans. Oh, nice. So those, well, that's, that's, that's Calvin and Hobbes. That's Calvin and Hobbes and The Far Side. Oh, well, Far Side is... I just, I just didn't do comics. So, like, um, The Animals of Farthingwood and oh, yeah. the Red oh, War yes. books and things like that. Absolutely, yes. yeah. Those kind of things. The, the darkest children's media. Yeah, yeah, where the animals die. Do you remember Lots. that scene where, spoilers. Uh, no, where, spoilers. For ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> where Mr. Pheasant goes back to the farm to find Mrs. Pheasant and she's cooling on the windowsill. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to give this uh, 3.5 because I think you okay. t- there will be huge caveats. Have you seen Asterix? No. Have you read any of the books? No. Okay, well, are you a child? Yes. Okay, well, I'll play for you. I think it's for old farts. I think you're making a mistake, Kobe. I think, I think. I think some kids will like it who haven't experienced other media. Um, repeat yeah, viewed. <laughs> uh, Felix. Uh, I have repeat viewed, as we've established. I'm not sure that everyone will. I'm going to go for, like, general population. Maybe I'll steal your score there and say 3.5. Okay. Nice. Tom? I'm going to go for a, a 4.1. 
Yeah. I'm just trying to use my decimal point rights as, as much as I can. Sure. Uh, because I think I would, if you said to me uh, tonight, I watched this two nights ago, and if you said to me, would you like to watch that again tonight? I'd go, that's a bit soon. But if you said <laughs> yeah. to me in a week, I genuinely might go, yeah, actually, it's nice to look at. There's lots of fun jokes in it. It's really pretty. It's, it's pretty in its weird 70s way. And uh, yeah, I, I think a 4.1. It's only 82 minutes. Exactly. It's yeah. only 82 minutes long. Yeah. That's a very good point. You That's could very well. easily have this on in the background. I think you, you, also, for dinner. you also think uh, some of the some of the lesser Disney animations are quite poorly animated. Um, I'm not going to bring out any names. Don't name and shame. No. <laughs> uh, Helen, repeat the score. Oh, it's a one from me. Whoa. I'm not going to go back. Uh, I think I kind of missed the boat on this one. I think it's something that probably you need to have kind of had like a bit of a passion for when you're younger to really get behind on it. I used to get these, um, we used to go to the library like every week and this would be like, there'll be the proper books like the Animals of Fighting Wood but then these would be the kind of easy ones that I'd get as well which is quite, I think that's why I got into them. Um, one for one for us. Um, <laughs> but I don't think I'm going to see this again. I, I, like I said, I can't remember the stories of any of the asterisks I've read because I've only read them once each and mm. any of the films I, I watched, I can't remember which any of them. Was there one like an Olympics one? Mm-hmm. There was, that's, yeah. That's probably pro- seems to ring a bell, strike a chord. Um, we were talking earlier about Asterix and the Big Fight. Yes. Which I think was a combination of two comics. Right. The animated film, which yes. came out when? A little while after this? 1989. That's the one with yeah. Bill Oddie. Quite a bit so later, that, yeah. That's... Bill Oddie as Asterix. Bernard Breslau as Obelix in the best move of casting I've ever heard of in my entire life. And uh, various other sort of luminaries of British film and telly through the years in the English dub. But we were saying in the American dub of Big Fight... Asterix is Henry Winkler. Which is also really? brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> that's Amazing. so good. I can't remember who played Obelix in that one. Don't know. Anyway. But yeah, so, yeah, that's, good... that's definitely one I saw, but I can't remember. It's, it's really good. It's Asterix and the Soothsayer, plus I think there was a comic just called Asterix and the Big Fight, mm. and they combine the plots, and it's it's I a very, very... Yeah, and it's someone brilliant. It's Prolix. Prolix the Soothsayer, and I can't remember who that is, but it's it's brilliant. Anyway, sorry. Um, I'm going to go for 1.8 here. Mm. Maybe once mm. again. Can't think when. Small mm. screen score. Felix. That's whether or not it works on the small screen. Yes, how the higher, the more suited it is to the Netflix arena. Yeah, I think it is more suited to the small screen than the big Mm. because when it first came out, it came out for worse screens. And (laughs) this time I've really noticed, as I was saying, just the brushstrokes, the animation things, I think things that they would have got away with with lower definition. Sure. So I think that this is a good one for the small screen. I, I think if you are uh, using it as a kid's film, maybe something to keep them quiet for exactly 82 minutes, then uh, this on an iPad works very well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Train journey. Yeah, Perfect, exactly. Yeah. In fact, our 82 friend minutes. was watching it on her phone on a, a train journey recently. Uh, I'm going to give it I don't think it's not designed for the small screen so I won't give it a perfect score I'll give it uh, well before you give your score also you did talk about the soundtrack which is sometimes a part of the atmosphere that you get something that is very much augmented in the cinema that's true. So I don't know if if you want to that's true and there is an early joke that assumes you're in a cinema yeah Yeah. with the hands up yeah 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 yeah. um God, I love that soundtrack. It's just so cheerful. It is. Uh, And almost, um, it's quite lo-fi. Yeah, yeah. It Uh, doesn't sound like it's very overproduced or done with a huge band. No, but I don't know. I mean, I had it, I I watched it with headphones uh, because my Mm. laptop speaker is pretty rubbish. I would give it a four. Okay. Tom? 
Now, this this is an important question, which delves right to the very heart of this podcast. Mm. Am I reviewing the idea of watching this film because it happens to be on Netflix, or am I reviewing the version that is on Netflix? Uh, both. Okay. <laughs> In which case, it gets a three from me. Right. Because I think it's a five if you're watching a good print. But the print, for some reason, maybe it's the best one that's available. Yeah. The print on Netflix is incredibly pixelated and is is... It looks like it's in about 720p. It's quite interesting because sometimes you hear that the um, the film transfer is a lot better on Netflix than it is on the DVD. Often or, it is. Yeah, the I'm, Ghibli films that are on there now look yeah. incredible. Right. I'm sure. That, I'm sure that must have been like a stipulation. Of, yeah. Of, of of it coming on Netflix. It's Absolutely. Like, you're not going to make a shit version, son, of this. You're gonna yeah, have you, to... you just swore. Kobe, you're breaking your own rules. No, you can swear. Oh, can you? Yeah. I thought you said you can't swear. Oh no. I've yeah. been holding back from fucking and shitting all bloody <laughs> since we started. Well, I mean, that's... Well, you've gone now. I action. know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Helen. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, on that, I, I'm going to give it a five. I I think, um, yeah, it's it's perfectly suited to uh, watching on, on a small screen. And also, sort of going back to what you were saying, Tom, about trying to, like, collect the, the VHSs when you were younger, um, I think this is one of the things that is really great about Netflix is that they've got all of this massive back catalogue and you don't have to now, like, dig out your VHSs to kind of relive your nostalgia and, and go back to things. So um, if you're an Asterix fan, then check out their back catalogue. I'm going to go for a five as well. I would not want to watch this on the cinema screen. I think this is perfect for being at home and... It is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, engagement score. Felix. Explain to me the engagement score. So engagement score. High engagement score is where you your phone is in your pocket, but you have no intention of picking it up, nor do you wish to stop what you're doing to go to the toilet or uh, entertain any other distraction. Very good. I checked my phone a bit in the first half, then I turned my phone over, which is... Felix code for stop using your phone, Felix. Mm. Uh, so I can't say that I was fully engaged throughout, but I was pretty engaged. I wasn't waiting for it to end. Um, so I'm going to give it another solid four. Okay, Tom. I'm going to give this one a five because I'll tell you, it was. I, mean, I watched it with, uh, with my partner and uh, she and I were both just constantly referring to a bit of beautiful animation or a really good joke or the music, as Felix has talked about. And so that sketch format for me means that, you know, in the same way as any sort of sketch TV program or, or a show you might see, mm-hmm. a live show, it's always like, well, even if this bit isn't the, f- the best bit ever, there'll be another wrong in two minutes. Sure. And I think for me, it's also the fact that it's only, what is it, 82 minutes, 72, yeah. did we decide? 82. Let's 82. say 82. 82. Do you know which bit you've just reminded me of talking which? about the music and animation? The squirrel. The oh, squirrel yes. on the clarinet. Yeah, yeah, in the on the island of pleasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. How odd. Yeah. Helen. So I was kind of with it for a bit at the start and then they they do the first one and they complete it really easily and then they do the second one and they complete it really easily mm. yeah i can kind of see where this is going yeah um which was a bit of a shame because the like you said felix there was there's no stakes and there's no kind of there's no kind of journey and i i think i need that a little bit to keep mm-hmm. me engaged so uh, a two sure Usually I'd be with you on that. I think, again, yeah. it's my love of, of Asterix and Obelix, obviously, mm. but also I think it's that sketch thing where I sort of went, I get what this is. Like, I remembered it from childhood, but then you yeah. go, oh, I see. <laughs> it's yeah. 12 sketches in a row. And I sort of locked into that. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm on Helen's side in that I checked out as soon as I saw how easily. You knew <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was it. It was 
just a bit too easy. Yeah. Mm. Well, though I did like the the gag where it's almost like a, it's almost like a bug spinning roadrunner kind yeah. of thing as well, isn't it? Where super fast guy runs off. Asterix is like still speaking to him as he's oh you've gone. I'll just uh, have my potion because it's important. The cat starts him really easily. Goes back and gets the flowers. Goes back and gets the toadstools, and then crosses the line helping this guy. And this guy's like dejected. And you know, at no point, like I said, is uh, are you under any doubt that Asterix and Obelix are not going to win this thing? No. Um, With the possible exception of the house that sends you mad, which probably is one of the more exciting bits, yeah, despite it being like about it. being dull. They <laughs> get they get longer. Yeah, like yeah, maybe the crocodile bit is quite short, mm. but it feels like they save the good ones for the second half. Yeah, yeah, because so it builds, you, I guess. Yeah, so you do have to think. To what does kind of keep you going is like wondering how they are going to do this because the first two tasks mm-hmm. are running and throwing, and they're kind of like if it's going to be this all the way through, you're like shot put next, is it? Okay, fine. <laughs> which one of you can jump the highest? But it does get at least a bit more interesting in terms of how they what the tasks that they perform. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go for a three point five for for this. And that gives us an overall score of 3.63125. Is that good? That's all right. I think out of five, I mean, yeah, it's it's well over half. It could have it could have tracked it could have tracked um, lower. I think it was. I think the trajectory was lower. Um, Listeners at home can't see this, but uh, Kobe's got about a million tabs open in his Chrome. This is comments on quite often. Browser. This is fine. This is fine, guys. Yeah. Oh, well, All right. We just opened up Twitter and was landed uh, directly on David K. Barnes. David getting- K. Barnes is, is has just finished writing an episode of Overcoats Wooden. And I'll tell you, thank God, because uh, at the time we're recording this, we've got to record before too long. But thank goodness he's he's finished writing an episode. <laughs> he's got two replies and seven hearts. Oh, good for him. Folks, if, if anyone's looking to increase that heart score for him, uh, it is currently the 21st of February, so do just scroll back through David K. Barnes's and he sent at the Velvet Barnes timeline. At almost exactly half past seven in the evening. Yeah, so help look, him out. A few more hearts. Yep. You could maybe a retweet or a reply, but... Mm. And the reason we're on Twitter is because we always tweet out before we record. Uh, sometimes we don't get a response. And this time, we did. I was quite surprised we got a response to this one. Um, and I, uh, we write, uh, in this, as in this case, we're reviewing the 12 tasks of Asterix with Atom Crowley and Felix Trench from Overcoat Wooden and other places, Victoriosity, Quid Pro Euro. Uh, have you seen it? Tells you your thoughts for an on-air shout-out on Flitz. What's it? Give us a five-star rating. Etc. Etc. And we're there. We're, we're listed. We're relevant people. That's uh, right. We have so really relevant. Very we, relevant. We did have one response. Uh, would you like to take that, Felix? As this is your choice. Uh, I see two responses there. Well, it's um, so the top one the is other, the other two are absolutely irrelevant to this <laughs> yes, conversation. People, people weighed in on this. But... Got, so someone was not was excited. No. So we've got. Uh, uh, Jenny Redmond, uh, friend of mine and yeah, your friend old of podcast. Cat, uh, That's Cat. right, yes, we worked together on the, the Story Etc. podcast, Gone Who Too Soon. I know, as soon as this was announced, uh, as she was going back home on the train, went, oh, I will watch this immediately. Yes, excellent. <laughs> she watched it on YouTube. Uh, Jenny says, the best asterisks. I still say, leave them to me, leave them to leave me, them to in Obelix's voice. No one gets it. Yeah. Perfect viewing. Gets better with age. And it's in full on YouTube. I just realised, and I'm now watching it. Well, Jenny, that's illegal, and also it's against <laughs> the spirit of this podcast. So and she did give this five stars. I think that yeah, block her, block her on Twitter now because she's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely ruining it. No, I'm going to follow her. That's what's going to happen. Oh, fair her. enough. Well, she's extremely Jenny, wonderful. Jenny, as you listen to, I just followed you now. And uh, you've just unfollowed. <laughs> oh, Kobe! <laughs> I think you already <laughs> followed Jenny. Now block her, like I said, oh, because sorry. she's she's advocating illegal. Uh, 
um, uh, piracy. Jenny's biography uh, tells us that she is a pluviophile. Likes rain? Love of rain. Yeah. I'm also a pluviophile. I and she's got frizzy them. hair, which I would think would make her against rainy weather. Well, and it, the it, humidity. Anti-pluv. It doubles yeah, anti-pluv. her height, of course. Of course it does, yes. Right, guys, can you sign off uh, by telling everyone who's listening where they can find you online and say goodbye in well, whatever first, language you choose? I'm going to say our flicks watch a catchphrase, Christmas ham, <laughs> which we have to say in every episode. <laughs> Christmas ham! Christmas ham, Felix. Uh, I'm Tom Crowley. You can find me on all the social media at a Tom Crowley, a Tom Crowley or Atom Crowley, however you want to say it. There's an A at the start. Uh, I'd love it if you'd listen to my sketch comedy podcast, Crowley Time, mm-hmm. available on all good podcatchers. Uh, it's all entirely written and performed and edited and composed by me because I'm insane and a glutton for punishment. And also, of course, listen to Wooden Overcoats, which I'm in with my very good friend, Felix Trench. Felix, take it away. Christmas ham. Christmas ham, Christmas ham. Here I am with my Christmas ham. It's beautiful. I feel that was going to be like the little drummer boy kind of version. I love that song. Christmas ham. That's the second first Christmas carol. There's like a prelude kind of conversation. You and and Tom are piano. Felix, would you like some Christmas ham? Not tonight. I feel a bit bit hungry. Um, (laughs) They told me for Christmas Christmas ham, a new roast ham to see (laughs) a Christmas ham. Our where can they find you on social media? They can find me on at Felix Trench. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and that's. Uh, I'm, I'm also technically on Tumblr. Are you? Yeah. Is that, which I, is that a social media? It is. It is. I, <laughs> I tumble purely to promote my podcast, Quid Pro Euro, which I uh, will be medium grateful if you listen to. <laughs> like, I think, so you need to listen to mine first. Is what the yeah. is. Quid yeah. Pro Euro is very, Guys, very good. Well, listen to Crowley Time first. And you. if you like that, maybe try one of the other podcasts christmas ham victoriosity and wooden overcoats both yes, victoriosity do live as well. shows so do look for tickets go to do. often king's place king's place is where we've done a lot of our live shows yeah. actually yes yeah. uh, victoriosity if you're in the oxford area they do live performances there so we may not be so far away from you if you're in and near oxford look out at the old fire station yeah go see the dead secrets go see the dead secrets as well they do their uh, weekly i think or monthly I that's the, it's very the, the improv group that's run by the people who write Victoriosity. Victoriosity. That's right. There's a lot of crossover in the talent there. And they do a show called Hickory Dickory Murder in Oxford at the Old Fire Station Theatre, uh, which look, is plug, a... Plugging other people. Look, well, look, I mean, you mentioned Victoriosity and I love, love those people, love so I'm going to give them all the love I can. But yeah, go see them if you're in Oxford. If you're nearer to London, then come to King's Place and see Victoriosity, Wooden Overcoats or anything else we might be doing. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks so much for coming on. Christmas ham. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixwatcherPod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood audio tell them flicks what she sent you you just heard a stripped media production